name is Johan Norberg and today is June 15 of 2018 and I'm here with Denise Scott Chickadoo at the Central Library for the Our Streets Our Stories project at the Brooklyn Public Library. So what's your Brooklyn story? Well, um, my Brooklyn story is my life because I have been in Brooklyn for my entire 66 years. I've lived in four neighborhoods in Brooklyn. Well, actually three, because two of them were in the same area. Um, I did all of my schooling in Brooklyn, including college. Um, for the last 30 some odd years, all of my employment took place in Brooklyn. So I am intricately entwined with Brooklyn. It's my life. Brooklyn is my life. Um, I have always, very recently, they turned um, Brooklyn Day, because it used to be Brooklyn Day when I was a kid, it was Brooklyn Day. And on Brooklyn Day, the kids in Brooklyn and Queens, and Queens only got included because, you know, it's attached. So, because <laughs> Brooklyn is what counts. Yeah. So, on Brooklyn Day, um, especially like when I got into high school, I had friends who went to specialty schools in Manhattan because, you know, you get to high school, you're like, oh, I want to go. So they're in, in Manhattan in school, and I'm in Brooklyn in school, and Brooklyn Day comes, and they got to get up and go to school, and I don't. <laughs> because the, before the, the, the Manhattan schools in Bronx, Staten Island, the kids had to go to school, it was only for Brooklyn Day. So I always thought, you know, very special. Brooklyn is a very, very special place. It's a place where there are a vast amount of different ethnic backgrounds. Um, it is a place that has evolved tremendously, I would say far more than any other borough um, of the five boroughs of the city of New York. So Brooklyn is a very unique place. I mean, everybody is aware that there used to be a Ebbetsville basketball team where the Dodgers used to play. Um, um, I'm not that related to that because that was just a little before my time, but I can relate to it because I've had family members that have lived in Ebbetsville for quite some time. Um, and all of the changes that have happened with that and, and the most recent changes that are happening now, that are happening uh, like expediently, you know. Um, but Brooklyn has been a place where you can turn a corner and feel like you are someplace upstate New York. You can be in a place where there's a vast amount of traffic and just city, totally city related, and you turn the corner and you're like, did I get transposed someplace? Did they, did they, did I go through like a warp or something? Because it's so vast, it's so different um, in the different neighborhoods and what it looks like and, and different references. Um, if you go down to certain neighborhoods and you look at the buildings with stained glass windows, it's just, it's a, it's a marvel of architecture, you know, just wonderful place. Brooklyn's just a wonderful place. And which areas have you been? Well, um, I started out in Bed-Stuy and I am back again in Bed-Stuy where I started, I did full circle. Um, um, I was born in that um, house. I came home from the hospital, that's it, yeah. to Kosciuszko Street in Bed-Stuy. Um, when I was 18, I moved to Borum Hill. I'm not sure if they called it Borum Hill at the time. I really can't remember, but um, I believe that they did. And um, on State Street, and I was there for 10 years, and then I moved not too far from there, and then to Park Slope, and then back to Bed-Stuy. So I spend the majority of my time, I would say, I've been back in Bed-Stuy now for 25 years. Okay. <clears throat> How was it being a child in Bed-Stuy? It was in the 50s. Well, in the 50s, yes, in yeah. the 50s. It was, um, I, I, you know, my recollection of the of Bed-Stuy is in the 60s, because in the 50s, I was so young, who cared about whatever was going on? So, you know, my recollections came from during the 60s. In the 60s, let me see. I'll, I'll suffice it to say this. I was under the impression in the 60s that I was living in the ghetto because that's what I was told. I didn't know what a ghetto was. Um, 
I learned later that I wasn't living in the ghettos. I was really living in what they refer to as the slums because the ghetto is a different thing. So, but I was taught that my neighborhood was the slum and I went to school, I was bust, you know, uh, and I went to school out in Flatbush and at the time in Flatbush, it was a different situation. And in the area where I went, it was mostly private homes. So even though I was raised in a private home, the, 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 it was more concentrated, the area was more concentrated that I was in. So you had larger numbers of people and larger situations that um, kind of dictated the neighborhood for what the situations were, to put it delicately. So um, 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 I used to think back then that I was at a disadvantage and that was on, it was, um, counterproductive and extremely counterproductive for someone who can't pick themselves up by their bootstraps because if you're being told this you're not in a good situation you think you're not in a good situation but now in terms of how things have evolved and in retrospect and wisdom I realized that at the time that I was living where I was living if it had been promoted in the fashion that it's being promoted now yeah people would have been far more industrial. They would have been more economically uh, better off. Because now where we are living, they're aspiring to being in a neighborhood that I was in when I was growing up. You know, so it's a whole, you know, the, when I lived, when I, when I retrospect what my neighborhood was like then and what it's like now, I really wish it was more like it was then because it was a more closely knitted community. It was a more self-sustained community. It was a friendlier community. And at the time, like there used to be a marketplace. I live on Kosciuszko and around the corner on DeKalb Avenue, between the avenues of Marcus Garvey and we say troop, and the new people say troop. Okay. <laughs> like we say nostrand, and they say nostrand. Like we say classin, we say classin, and they say classin. <laughs> but anyway, on DeKalb Avenue between Marcus Garvey and troop, or troop, um, there was a mecca. It was an emporium. There was nothing on the face of the earth that you could not buy, literally, from soup to nuts. They had clothing stores and vegetable stores and fish markets and meat markets. And they had one particular meat market where you could go in there and every year he would feature something exotic like turtle or snake or rabbit, and they would actually prepare it to give you samples for you to, to entice you to, because you know those were things that people, you know, chicken, beef, fish, you know. yeah. So I, it was just, it was, it was phenomenal. Clothing store, a bakery, that every morning on Sunday when my mother would make the huge breakfast, traditionally in our family you had a huge breakfast on Sundays. I remember walking to the bakery and you would stand there with the, wire basket in your hand and it would be a conveyor belt and the, they would come fresh out of the oven and you'd catch them in the basket and when you got home in the brown paper bag you took it was still warm and ready for buttering so that's that was my childhood memories and um i see things like that happening now because there were restaurants you know like the like the like the things they had you know, women come out to your car and take your order and bring it back to the side, you know. No roller skating, but, <laughs> but still, you know, it was the neighborhood Chinese restaurant was important because it was only one, and that's where everyone went. It was on Tompkins Avenue between DeKalb and Pulaski, but I, I don't remember the name, although we went there so frequently. But the, the name of the, 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 the like, Burger Hop place was the Burger Flame. And next door to the Burger Flame, now the Burger Flame was on the corner of Tompkins and DeKalb. DeKalb was 
the marketplace. Yeah. And then next door to Decal, to the Burger Flame, there was the Kismet Movie Theater. It's now an apartment building. Okay. And I used to go there to the movies. On, that's where we go to the movies on Sunday, on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. And go to the Kismet. Or we go to the state, no, the state theater is now the Department of Social Service, which is on decal between Franklin and whatever that little small side street is. I can't recall it right now. And um, so we had four major movie theaters in the neighborhood. There was a Lowe's Metropolitan on Gates and Broadway that you used to go to that I went to to play hooky once (laughs) with my sister. And I was so small, I was very small when I was younger, and the lady was like, there's no way that you should not be in school. (laughs) She wouldn't let us in. My sister was almost able to get away with it because she was bigger. She was mad at me all day because I was so small, we weren't able to sneak into the movies. (laughs) But that was our day playing hooky at the Lowe's on Gates Avenue. That's my memory of that place. But like I said, it's changed. It's changed now. They had... They had, um, back then, they had a, a, a store. The lady's name was Mama, and the father's name was Papa. Okay. And um, I don't know what descent they were. That um, I don't know if they were German or what. I know that they had an accent. and They knew my mother because she bought all of her foundation from them and her stockings and the color of the stockings that she bought. And I would go in and the lady would like, hi, how are you? I'm here for my mother's stocking. Oh, your mother wears apricot, you know. And she'd go into the box. The stockings were in a little box and tissue paper and things were wonderful then. (laughs) Things were wonderful then, yeah. Like I said, everything, furniture store, everything on that block, there was nothing that you could not purchase. And people used to come over, and I remember um, my aunts would come over on Saturdays. And in black families, Sunday meal was a traditional thing, and you always had a huge Sunday meal. And the wives would come over on Saturday, and they would clean their greens, like the collard greens and the mustard greens, and they would have cocktails or beer or whatever, and they would talk. and you know, in preparation for their Sunday meals. And then in the evenings, the husbands would come and pick up their respective wives, and then the husbands would get together, and they would play cards, and there would be food eating, and oh gosh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful memories. Wonderful memories. That was my childhood growing up. And there was lots of things going on, of course. Um, I can recall Back then, we had trouble with gangs. I don't know what they did, but whatever they did or whatever happened to keep the gangs from being escalated to the point that they are in the West Coast, they need to find out what it was that they did so they can do that to stop that now. You know, Because it, 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 it didn't last long. I wouldn't say that it lasts long, and it certainly wasn't uh, as violent. And I mean, even though I, I do recall um, watching or being in situations where um, herds of young men would be running down the street from one another and chasing one another, but there was never, you never concerned yourself with being shot with, um, you know, straight bullets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those things you didn't concern yourself with back then, you know. Um, they would rip antennas off of cars and hit each other with them. So you didn't have to, you know, it's not like it is now. Now you could be sitting in your house and yeah. bullet comes through the window. It's really sad, you know. Yesterday. Yesterday. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, um, those are my memories. I mean, the, most of my memories is, you know, of growing up during those days was the fire hydrant in the summertime, you know, um, getting a vegetable can and and taking both ends out. And I did that as it was, oh my God, the power of that water is astounding. Oh, 
took many tries and it was a technique a serious technique at getting that water just right because if you didn't the force of that water was knocking the can out of your hand every time <laughs> but i remember those days and and wearing flip-flops and 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 splashing as a youngster in the water and, and as it ran in the gutter oh my gosh what days what days wonderful days can you tell me a bit about going to school and eventually starting to work in um i went to um the school now is called ub blake school is um the number is ps25 i went to ps25 um PS20, PS25 is the main building on Lafayette between Troop or Throop and Marcus Garvey, which used to be Sumler Avenue. Um, very sidebar, the other day I was standing on the corner of what is now Decal and Marcus Garvey, and I looked up and I saw a sign that said Sumler Avenue. I'm like, where did that come from? I gotta take a picture of that. It's just, I'm just yeah. thinking about it. Anyway, it's Marcus Garvey now, and what um, at the time there used to be, I believe it was an old fire house that was across the street from the main building, and that annex it was an annex of PS25, and in the annex, which was on Kosciuszko between Marcus Garvey and Throop, was the third grade. You went there for the third grade. The third graders went into that building. And the building was not designed for classrooms. So the way that the building was designed, there was no separation for the classrooms. The classroom had, you went, it was like a, sort of like a turn. And when you turn and you went through a door, you were in another classroom. As a matter of fact, to the point that when you went to the bathroom, you would have to walk through classrooms to get okay. to the bathroom, which was, <laughs> I, I mean, when I think about it in retrospect, I don't remember it being that disturbing. I can't imagine today kids getting up and walking through class and being able to contain themselves. But back then we did relatively well. In any event, I, I made it to the and I had the annex experience because I did the third grade there. But by the fourth grade, I was bussed out. And I used to stand on the corner of Sumler, Marcus Garvey, and Lafayette and wait for the bus to pick me up there in the morning. And I was transferred to, um, I was bussed out to PS 139 on Catelli Road. And I went there until the sixth grade. And from there I went to um, Walt Whitman, Junior High School, number 246, which was in the shadow of Erasmus Hall. And so I did my um, sixth, seventh, and the year, the year that I, I think it was believed that the year that I graduated junior high school, they put the ninth grade in the high schools because the ninth grade, you used to go to seven, eight, and nine in junior high and one through six in elementary, and then 10 through 12 in high school. And so I went to, um, at, the, at the time, the system was that you um, transferred to whatever, they were called feed schools. So if you were in junior high school, 256, you, you fed into Erasmus Hall or um, if you didn't do so well, you went somewhere else because at that time, Erasmus Hall had a very high standard. So um, um, I went to Erasmus Hall. I, I, I digress for a moment. During the time, I'm not quite sure of you, I'm not good with dates, but our first transit strike was during the time I was in junior high school. And the Board of Education at the time decided that what would happen is that those children like myself who took public transportation to school would be allowed to go to the school in the neighborhood that they went to during the time of the strike. That was their solution for that. I think that might have been one of the most eye-opening things that I've ever seen. Um, 
I went to junior high school 57, that is one Lafayette and uh, Stuyvesant. I walked into the building and I thought I was in a zoo. And I, I, I can't say that it was the children because children would do what they are allowed to do. The whole time that I was there, I don't remember any form, any structure. It appeared to me that they were really allowing the children to do whatever they wanted to do. There was no dissemination of any information or anything coming from the teachers to the students. My whole time to be there in retrospect when I think about being there is a conversation that I got into with one of the teachers, pretty much like the conversation that I'm getting into with you now. Yeah that he was, he apparently had given up and was collecting a check because they were generally just not doing anything with these kids. It was really sad, very, very sad, you know. And I thought to myself how fortunate it was for me. As When I got older, I realized that one of the best things that happened to me was the busing and the transportation because if I had been educated in my neighborhood, I don't know. You know, I, 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 I don't think of it as an excuse, but I can certainly see it a contributing factor hmm. to what happened to a lot of the other people who I grew up in school with. You know, why is the high crime rate? Why people go to prison? And, you know, for lack of knowledge, you perish. You know, so. So I, I saw that, that was, you know, it's despairing. It's very despairing, but you know, it is what it is, you know. Um, we all, luckily, uh, you know, I was blessed. I'm blessed, God's been good to me, you know, I have to say. And I, I, I thank God for my experience. And it also, um, being in situations like that, it gives you a, a, an understanding of, you know, you know, how certain things pan out or whatever. But that was that you know, things seem to be better now. That you know, that's one thing with the World Wide Web. Everybody has connections, so it makes things a little, a little more fair because people have more knowledge of what's going on now. So it makes things a little fair. So that and then I I left there at the time. I I left my junior high school and went to Erasmus. Erasmus was the cat's pajamas, you know. And um, at that time, when you went to Erasmus, um, they did uh, a tour with you. They did like an open house, like they did in colleges, where you would come to the school, and they would take you on neighborhood walks, and they, they took you to the Dutch Reformed Church that's on the corner of Church and Flemish Avenue, and they had a hookup with the church that they would let you onto, because it's a graveyard there. Yeah. And they've got tombstones that date back to the 1800s, you know. And they would go there and they would talk to you and they would show you certain people who were buried there and you know talk about that and then it was always the big thing to uh let everybody know that barbara streisand went to erasmus hall and she dropped out at 16. <laughs> that was part of the the whole you know tour about uh, erasmus hall which is um it's funny because the other day i was looking at a picture that came up on my computer and i was like wow I was looking at the building and said, oh, that really reminds me of Erasmus Hall. That looks like the um, quadrangle inside of Erasmus Hall because the original building for Erasmus Hall is sitting in the middle of the quadrangle in, in, in the building. I don't know if you've ever been there. Yeah. Well, if, if you get a chance to go by there, it's on Church and Flatbush, and it's, it's like a fortress. And like I said, it's a quadrangle, and inside, it's like a courtyard in there. In the middle of there is a wood frame built school building that's the actual original school and they used to do like administrative stuff in there they would still operate i don't know if it is now but in the summertime in the spring it was blossoms the most beautiful campus just a lovely lovely place and then you know they they they, they took you and um showed you we didn't have an auditorium we had a chapel Everybody else in New York City went to auditorium. We went to the chapel. It had all stained glass windows and balconies. 
beautiful mahogany carved wood walls. Beautiful, beautiful building. Beautiful building. They should spend more time talking about Erasmus Hall okay. because of the architecture. Yeah. You know, it should be some a place of true interest. You know, because so much history there. So I went to I went to Erasmus Hall and um, I left Erasmus Hall and thought to myself, I'm college now. <laughs> That's not for me. So I, I, I got a job and um, I started working. Um, as a matter of fact, my first job was with um, Metropolitan Life Insurance Company on 23rd Street and Park Avenue South. And um, I used to work um, when you became, I don't know if they have programs like that now in school, but back then they had programs where when you became a senior, you had a lot of extra time because you know, you've mostly done all your credits and you have a lot of free time. And they had programs where they called them co-op, where you worked one week, go to school one week, or you worked after school. So I worked there after school and I got a, for, I worked there full time when I graduated high school. And um, by the time of 18, by the time I turned 18, I moved out into my first apartment on State Street between Bond and Hoyt. And when I first moved in the area, um, they had a lot of SROs, single room occupancies. It was quite a number of them. Um, the neighborhood was different. I always thought to myself, because when I, when I, as a child, Growing up and coming downtown Brooklyn, that's what I did. You went to the shopping areas, to the stores, to the Abraham and Strauss, and to Martin's department stores, and May's department stores, and McCory's, which was like a cornucopia. <laughs> and McCory's, they had everything in there, and they had, they used to have, um, they had a, a little restaurant in the back of the store on the first floor and it was always a string that went across the counter and then the counter on the string they hung balloons with sticks on them and inside the balloon was a small little piece of paper and they used to make um, Sundays and you'd pick a balloon and whatever they would pop the balloon and the price that you pay for the Sunday would be on the paper in the balloon. So everybody, and the prices went from like one penny up to maybe maybe 75 cents back in the day. Yeah. So everybody would go in and pick their color and you pop the balloon and you'd find out what you paid for your, for your, for your Sunday. Yeah. Those were the days. Yeah. And then in the, in behind there, behind the, behind the, the restaurant area, is a you know, little counter area with round swivel chairs really, really basic kind of thing. Then there was a, right behind it though, there was a photo booth where you put in a quarter and you take your four snapshots <laughs> with your friend. You know, you go there after school and you, yeah. and you take pictures for a quarter. You get a dollar, you got a million pictures. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you took your, where you took your boyfriends and you kissed them in the booth and you pulled the curtain back and you waited for the light. Yeah, you know, wonderful days. And there was also a, um, down there was also a Horn and Horrocks, where they had the automated, where you go and you put a nickel in, and you watch the milk come out of the little thing into the glass, and, and it turned and whirled, and you pull the door open, and you take your stuff out, and then you go and you pick your sandwich. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. And the, and the Chock Full of Nuts restaurant? Yeah. Oh my gosh. The Chock Full of Nuts restaurant is now, there was a Chock Full of Nuts restaurant on the corner of Hoyt and, Hoyt and Fulton. It's now where the Models, there's a Models department store there now. But downstairs it used to be Chock Full of Nuts. Back in the days, those were the days. Yeah. Those were the days. So I, 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 I stayed on State Street for 10 years and then I moved from State Street to Bond and Warren across from the Gowanus Projects. Yeah. Gowanus Projects. And I was there maybe four or five years and then I moved from there to Park Slope 
um, on DeGraw and Fourth Avenue till 1993. Okay. I moved, and then, then I moved back to Kosciuszko. From the 70s too. Yeah, I moved. I moved into. I moved into State Street um, in 1970. I moved from State Street. It must have been like 1982, okay. 81, something like that. And I was um, on Bond Street from 81 to like 85. And then I was on in Park Slope from 85 to 93. Okay. Yeah. So you've seen a lot of changes. Uh, yeah, quite, quite a few. Um, I worked for, um, um, during the time that I lived at, during the time I lived on State Street, I was working mostly in Manhattan. Those were my jobs in Manhattan. Yeah. Um, by the time I worked, moved to Bond Street, I was then working in Brooklyn. I worked for the Board of Ed at 110 Livingston Street on the corner of Borum and Livingston. Yeah. It's now a co-op. Okay. I used to work there. Um, uh, I used to take, I kept, <laughs> I kept, I, I said I, I was a cattle counter. That's what I, <laughs> I referred to it as the job was to keep the attendance of the um, high schools in the borough of Brooklyn. Yeah. I was in charge of getting the information of who was at school that day for yeah. that particular school or whatever. And um, so I worked for them for a while, and then I worked for a real estate office, and then I went to ANS. And um, that was in the late 70s, early 80s. Okay. And um, that when, that's when the change came. Everybody was under the impression that ANS went out of business, but it didn't. ANS is is a part of Federated Department Store, and what really happened was that ANS actually purchased Macy's, and they kept the Macy's name because it was more world renowned. So they kept Macy's, but it really was still ANS. But it's still standing as you know, Macy's is now part of Federated, along with Bloomingdale and Strauss and all of those other stores, and Lee and Marcus. Uh, it's all Federated department stores. But that was that was a transition. Um, lots of people lost their job during that time when they when they went from A and S to Macy's. Um, but I, I left there shortly after, maybe a year, a year or two afterwards, converted to. Federated, and when I was living in Park Slope, and I started working for the Department of Social Service, and I started working in a building. I was telling the gentleman when I was coming in the building today, we were talking there, picking, fixing the pavement outside, and um, we were talking about the old builders and the structure and the material and the quality and so forth, and I was telling him that I worked in a building um, for the Department of Social Service, and I used to marvel at coming in the building and the inlays, the gold, and the marbled walls, and the, the vast sizes of the bathrooms, and the foyers, and the and just beautiful building. They knocked that building down. That's where the Marriott is now. And I thought to myself, when they, when they moved us out, because they had to relocate us, we went from, that was 330 J Street. We went from 330 J Street to, depending on what door you went in, was 45 Hoyt Street or 109 Livingston. Um, then they had a Skimmerhorn entrance to and that was where the other Department of Social Services. It, that building was also torn down. Okay. Um, however, at the time that when I was working in that building, the building now, that building is on Hoyt between Skimmerhorn and Livingston. The, I believe it's an apartment building now. Um, on the 10th floor in that building, Brooklyn College had a floor. Okay. And they used to do classes in there. And on the weekends, the students used to have parties. It's <laughs> <laughs> quite a bit of partying going on with the Brooklyn College students. And I don't know if they allowed them to rent the area out or whatever, but yeah, there was a, um, they, used, they used to um, occupy a, build, a floor in that building. Um, what lessons have you learned living in Brooklyn? Um, 
and Brooklyn teaches you that it's important to be diversified. Um, you have to be able. Um, I think I think living in Brooklyn, um, this it's so different in so many different ways. Um, you've got beaches, you know. You've got vast amounts of parks, you know. And everybody knows Brooklyn is the borough of churches. Um, um, so much architecture um, in that. So much reaching out in terms of community things. I've seen different churches do wonderful things in the neighborhood for the people. Um, there was a there was a gentleman um, um, when I first lived in the neighborhood that was known to everyone. He was, um, I guess people would say, a poor misfortunate soul. <laughs> But he had a heart of gold, and everyone loved him. And I, I was talking the other day to someone. It used to be a, a church on the corner called Crossover Baptist Church. And when this gentleman died, everybody in the neighborhood knew him. The church performed his services free of charge. You know, so that, that's my idea of Brooklyn, things like that. Because Brooklyn people, um, you can go anywhere in the rural and tell somebody I'm from Brooklyn and they smile like that. <laughs> so, I mean, I, 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 I'm proud of being a Brooklynite. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very proud of it. Uh, is there any advice you would like to give to people coming to Brooklyn now? Um, for the future generations. For the future generations, I don't. I don't know how. Um, I don't know how the future generation can stop the progress of things that are happening. Um, but I. I would. I would suggest that um, individually you would take the time out to discover Brooklyn. Yeah. You know, um, to go into Prospect Park. There's a waterfall in Prospect. Park. A lot of people don't know that. There's a beautiful lake in Prospect Park. You can really get lost. There are some really relatively dense areas in Prospect Park that you would have no idea you were still in Prospect Park. So I think I would, my suggestion to the future generation is to discover Brooklyn because it has so much to offer and so much history here. The diversity of the neighborhoods that somewhat are keeping themselves together so that you can get a flavor. You can go into Greenpoint and go to Poland. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can eat Polish food, authentic stuff, not right. stuff where people are, you know, in the city where they're trying to make it swag or aviance food where you could get <laughs> food, you know, the right thing. Yeah. You know, that really has the flavor of what that particular ethnic cuisine is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want us to talk about that we didn't get to? Maybe specific events over the years that stayed in your um, memory or um, experiences? I think, I, you know, one of the things that sticks out, um, other than, I think the two things that stick out most to me are um, the blackouts. And we oh, have the blackouts, blackouts. Yeah. yeah, in the 60s. The first one that we had, um, um, and how um, being without and sitting with the family and waiting for the lights to come back yeah. on and electricity yeah. to come back on and um, anxiously awaiting everybody's arrival from school and work and making sure everybody is home safe and everybody getting home safe and being thankful for that and you know um my house being my my home being like a hub it's like is so-and-so there yet so-and-so is not here yet when you know where are they at? you know it's, it's similar to that kind of like um if there's a catastrophe have a meeting place yeah <laughs> like the, the meeting <laughs> Because then when we had the 60s not too long ago, and like I said, I'm not good with dates. By the time I had moved back in, it was the late 90s, they had a blackout. All of my children 
came to my house. So that's how I knew everyone was, was okay. But I, I think the, 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 the strongest memory I have is the memory of 9-11. Because um, um, I was working, I was actually working on where I told you it used to be a movie called the State Theater. It's on DeKalb between Franklin and Spencer, I think it is, whatever that little small street is. So I was working there, but we were in what you call a swing site because they were renovating that building. So we were in a swing site on Flatbush Avenue right across the street from the BAM parking lot. And um, I drove to work that morning. I was late getting to work that morning. And I drove to work and there was this eerie feeling. And I saw this line in the sky as I was getting in the, like a puff of smoke or whatever. And it's like, I hadn't turned on my television or radio or anything because I was late and I was rushing. And I drove down and I kept seeing this puff of smoke. And when I got into the building, because at the time that I was on my way there, they hadn't, we didn't know what was happening. And then when I got in the building, we were there for a while. And of course, the news came on and what happened, and they were showing the airplanes and never. And then by that time, they were evacuating the city. People were walking over the bridge, and my being on. Flatbush Avenue, it goes into Flatbush Avenue Extension, which goes directly onto the Manhattan Bridge. Yeah. And then a few blocks away is the Brooklyn Bridge. So people were fresh out of Manhattan from walking at that point. And I remember standing outside the building, there's a little platform, maybe about three feet wide and six feet long. And I remember standing there and watching the people walk down Flatbush Avenue and it seemed as though I was in a movie yeah. because people's faces were blank and they were just walking and they had dust all over them. Yeah. It was so surreal and no one was talking. There wasn't a lot of talking, you know, like usually you, people are walking down the street and they're talking to one another. People were just walking to where they were going. And fortunately for me, my children and my grandchildren were close in the area. And they weren't releasing the children unless their parents signed them out of the buildings. So I, my, my youngest daughter went to school right up the street from me. And I went up and I signed her out. And then she and I collectively walked to my grandson's school and picked him up. And then we walked back to my job at, and we drove home from there. But that day was, I remember the, when the airplanes flew overhead and we were walking past the Guananas Canal over on Union Street. And when the planes would fly over, it was terrifying, you know. It was a terrifying experience, and, and all along Court Street, the people, this the flow of people. It was a um, very strange feeling, very eerie, very eerie day. I think that's my, my strongest memory. And, um, and my first, another strong memory is my first encounter with the Atlantic Antic. Okay. I don't know if you know what that mm -hmm. is. The Atlantic Antic, when, when I, like I told you, my first apartment was on State Street between Hoyt and Bond. And the Atlantic Antic is a street festival that takes place every year. And it runs from like 4th Avenue, Atlantic Avenue, and goes all the way down to um, where the BQE is. Okay. And um, I never knew anything about the Atlantic Antic. I was not from the neighborhood, and but I lived around the corner from it. And my first experience with it, um, I was like, this is great. Atlantic Avenue shut down? This is marvelous. Um, um, and they have all kinds of vendors in the, in the 
the stores and shops on the on the street all participated and they they used to use the back then they used to use the piece from the um from the monopoly game as their logo when they would advertise that it was coming up and they would have the yellow atlantic avenue property piece that you could buy it was very interesting very interesting um atlantic avenue but now that I think about it, I think about Atlantic Avenue. Um, there used to be um, where the where the movie theater is now. There used to be a bar on that corner, and across the street from that bar, people know northeast corners or whatever. But going towards Atlantic Avenue, there was a social club. There was an, uh, an Arab social club, and. And that must have been early 70s, 71, 70s. It was bombed. Okay. Terrorism. And it was funny because when I thought about it, I said to myself, they never really talked about that the way they talk about things now. I don't know, maybe you know, the, the openness of communication isn't, but that was not the only bombing. There was a, a, a restaurant on the corner of Hicks, Hicks and Atlantic, and it had a, this, this like Viking boat, it was very vast and very interesting, that came to the corner and you used to sit around, they had tables around the boat and you felt like you were on a boat. They also bombed that place. Now, and like I said, it didn't, it didn't um, make news like things are now, but I thought to myself, wow, this stuff has been going on a long time. Yeah. You know? Going on a long time, so that that was a a, a big memory of mine. Um, the church that I attend now used to be um, there were three major movie theaters. Well, um, Long Island College, um, not not yeah, Long Island College on across the street from Infamous Juniors. It's it's now a school, but that used to be a theater. A movie theater, and then down the street from it on Fulton was the Fox Theater, and in the Fox Theater, they used to have that's where Mary Murray the K used to be with his swinging OA, and he used to bring in the Motown sound, and you could go and you could see the Spinners, the Four Tops, Harold Marvin and the Blue Jays. Um, uh, the Vandellas, the Spinners. I mean, they had a cornucopia of entertainment. You pay like five dollars, and you're in there for hours. Oh my gosh, the lines around the building—that was the thing to do. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> it was amazing. Stevie Wonder, Smokey Robin, and the Miracles. The Temptations? Are you kidding me? Yeah. What? We'd be in there losing our minds. Yeah. <laughs> but they used to have shows like that. I believe the movie, the show, the building was called the Paramount, where the Long Island College is. And then up the street from there was Albee Square, the Albee Theater. They were, the buildings were. The only one that's left was the Metropolitan, which is now the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And I used to go to the movie theaters in, before it was the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Um, but it's the only place where you can get somewhat of an idea of what the theaters were like then. And of the three, the Albee Mall, the Fox Theater, and the Lowe's, I would say my recollection, the best architectural one was the Albee Square. It was a shame when they when they knocked that building down. Okay. It was a real marble staircases that came together at the top. It was unbelievable, unbelievable. The ar architecture, but you know, I was I was watching a documentary the other day, and um, they refurbished the King Theater, which is on in Flatbush. Um, I think it's Flatbush and um, Cortelio. Yeah. yeah. And and it talked about it. and um, So people can go in there. I don't, I don't know. It would be nice if you go to church. 
come see our building. <laughs> you come in and you might go out with more when you came in, but it's a beautiful building. That, you know, if you get an opportunity to come over and yeah. worship with us and look at the building, it's, it's beautiful. The same with the King's Theater. I, um, after I saw the um, expose on it, I'm dying to go in there and see what it's like. I, I would think that, um, like I said, even this building, to do tours of this building, I think that um, monies could be generated, vast amount of monies could be generated from um, tours and history lessons and information and sharing information. Like I was talking to my sister the other day, they used to have something called the culture loop. Okay. The, you ever heard of it? No. The culture loop was something that they did in, say, the mid-70s. And they had, it was a city bus, but on the inside of the bus it had cushioned seats. And what it did, it was the first one was the culture loop one. It went to points of interest, like the sightseeing buses that you have here, the private sightseeing. It did that for the course of maybe a dollar more at the time, or 50 cents more than what the standard fare was. And you would get on the bus in these wonderful cushioned seats, and they were always air-conditioned, and it would take you to Madison Square Garden. It would take you to the drop-off for the Statue of Liberty. It would take you to Grand Army Central. Um, um, it would take you to Penn Station, Madison Square Garden, um, the Bronx Zoo, the Cloisters. And um, it went to certain points in Brooklyn. And then they developed what they call a culture loop two. So where the cultural loop one stopped, the two picked up and it went into further into Coney Island and Prospect Park and things like that. I think that if they would bring that back, it would be well welcomed and well received. And it would be a great way for people to explore Brooklyn and see what Brooklyn is like and yeah. you know a great way to generate revenues. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for You're being very, a part very, of the very, very welcome. <laughs> yeah. You're very welcome. It was a, my pleasure. Yeah. And have a great day. You too. <laughs> yeah.